Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 2, 27 through 40. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Thank you for reading the scripture. That, and again, that was Luke chapter 2, verse 27 through 40 in the NIV version. And I've entitled my sermon today, Fall and Rise. We fall and rise. And um, it's the story of Simeon and his meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, um, the baby Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that... Uh, you are making us a family after you, your, your children, um, waiting and anticipating the coming of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, and, um, and the consolation of Israel and the salvation of Gentiles and the whole world. And thank you for your gift. Thank you for your presence among us and be with us and continue to be present through the teaching of your word and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in our passage, there is a priest, a man in Jerusalem who was named Simeon. And Simeon uh, was a righteous and devout man, the scripture says. And it says that for much of his life, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for fulfillment, waiting for Jesus, waiting for the prophesied Messiah, waiting for salvation and redemption. And he was waiting faithfully, waiting actively. And that's what we've been trying to do. That's what we've been talking about during Advent. So on this first week of Christmas, first Sunday of Christmas, one, we acknowledge that we've been waiting for the coming Christ and the fulfillment that is in 
the birth of Jesus Christ, but also we acknowledge that Christmas isn't just a day on your social calendar. It's, just, it's not just a day that you get off from school or off from work so that we can gather together as a family and eat and exchange gifts and rip wrapping paper apart. It isn't a day where there's commercial after commercial from stores saying this sale and that sale, and then the day after Christmas at the stores doing exchanges exchanging those pants for a smaller pair or a different color. It's not just a time when uh, our stores and markets uh, have a busy economic time, but it's a season, right? It's not just a day. Advent continues, Christmas continues. Until actually technically in the Christmas, in the church calendar, Christmas continues until epiphany. Um, so we continue to wait, we continue to anticipate um, the coming of Jesus Christ, both at the same time acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come and will come again, and this is the now and not yet aspect of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in our hearts. And it says that this Man, Simeon, this righteous and devout man. And let me remind us that we're in the book of Luke. Uh, earlier in the year, we were in the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke. Luke-Acts goes together, written by the same person. And Luke and Acts both uh, have a prominent place set aside for the Holy Spirit. You know, many call the Acts Acts, the gospel of the Holy Spirit, as we see the advent of the church and the Holy Spirit moving among God's people um, to spread the gospel, to witness to the ends of the earth, onto the Gentiles, beyond Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth. And so we see here in Luke chapter 2, um, something very similar to what we see in the apostles and those chosen by God in Acts, in that Simeon was, had devotion. Simeon was a righteous person. And that's how people were chosen by the Holy Spirit or chosen by the people or chosen by the apostles. They were righteous and they were devout, devoted to the word of God, devoted to worshiping God, devoted to the scriptures, devoting to waiting for the consolation of Israel by the Holy Spirit. We also talked about in Luke how the theme of fulfillment is very prevalent, right? Fulfillment. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people from long ago. And finally now, Christ the Messiah has come and all things are fulfilled. All things have come to pass. The consolation as Simeon is waiting for, the consolation of Israel, the consoling of Israel, the, the meeting of Israel as Israel has been weeping and mourning and waiting for its consolation, for, for, for salvation, for to be lifted up again by God, by the coming King, the coming Messiah, right? Simeon is waiting. He is righteous and devoted. And it says that the Holy Spirit was on him, right? Luke 2 mentions the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is God's power moving in the earth and empowering mere mortals. It is the power of God over and against 
the powers of the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is God's alt power, right? The alt power, or rather the powers of the world around us are alt power to the original real power of God. And Simeon was filled with the Spirit, right? Filled with this empowerment, with this power of God. And as we see the Spirit of God moving in the Scriptures, moving amongst God's chosen people, moving among us, we see that this power oftentimes counteracts the powers of our culture, the powers of our society, evil powers of injustice and oppression in our world, right? The power of the Holy Spirit counteracts that. And it's, it's often the power that we miss or the power that we dismiss or the power that we ignore, God's power and the Holy Spirit because it's not what we're used to. It's not what we're looking for. It's not the thing that feeds us. It's not the things that our friends or the media or the world is telling us is good power or real power or true power. It's not effective, it seems like. But what we know as followers of Jesus is the power of the Holy Spirit is real and God's power is really moving on earth and we just have to be, say yes, we just have to be soft-hearted and receive this power and believe and hope that God will move, that God will come, that fulfillment is here. Believe in this church. Don't sell out. Don't cop out. Don't throw God and the Bible under the bus. Don't let other people tell you that these things are more powerful than our God. God is sovereign. God is powerful. And so moved by the Holy Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts as a priest. And Jesus, his parents, Mary and Joseph, are bringing the child, Jesus, um, as is the custom of the law, right? He just, on the eighth day, he'd just been circumcised. He'd just been named, uh, given the name Jesus. And now they're bringing him to the temple as the law required in order to go through his cleansing purification rites. And Simeon is the priest there. And the backstory is that Simeon was waiting for the Lord's Messiah. Simeon had been waiting for his whole life. He was an old man now. And God had promised, before you die, you will see the Messiah, you will see my salvation fulfilled, my promises fulfilled. And he sees Simeon, sees Jesus, and he holds Jesus in his arms. Can you imagine this image of an old man, an old priest, taking this vulnerable baby, the God of the universe, the Messiah, King of the Jews, Jesus Christ, yet in this vulnerable bodily form, right, of a baby. Doesn't that just blow your mind? That the most powerful entity, person, God of the universe is in this body, this vulnerable, right? Simeon could just drop the baby. Oh, I dropped Jesus, right? Dependent, and yet God of the universe 
in the arms of an old man. Just the contrast and the juxtaposition in that one image is just amazing that God would be so humble as to be in the infant Jesus, come as the infant Jesus. And Simeon, holding the baby Jesus in his arm, praises God. Again, we have a song here, another song. In the first chap two chapters of Luke, remember there are four songs of worship, of praise. And Simeon lifts up God and praises God, saying, Sovereign Lord, powerful Lord, Lord who is in control of all, Lord who has authority over all, right? Sovereign, that's what sovereign means. You, you are the one in charge. You are large and in charge. You are God. You're a ruler over all. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised me, you may now dismiss me in peace, your servant in peace. I can die now in peace. I've seen it, right, with my own eyes. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You know, on the news, I saw um, this story on some kind of the sad, sad news of people who suffered, families who suffered under COVID or a family member having COVID and the sad stories of not being able to visit family members who were sick with COVID-19. And, uh, you know, those family members dying without having anyone around them physically, you know. Um, because they're unable to visit the hospital. Or stories of, you know, grandparents dying before uh, seeing their grandchildren born, right? Their kids had, were, their daughter was pregnant um, and about to, uh, it was due, but they had COVID, they were in the hospital, and never had a chance to meet um, their grandchild who was born soon after their death. Those types of sad stories, it's like, oh my gosh, craziness is happening. And this is the feeling. Simeon, God promised you, you're not going to die. It's like reverse Moses, right? God said to Moses, you're, you're going to die before you even get to step in the promised land, right? But to Simeon, he said, you're going to see my promise. You're going to actually see my promise fulfilled before you died, and that's in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that this old man devoted his whole life to the Holy Scriptures and the prophets, reading about, imagine reading in Isaiah about the Messiah who would come, the King who would come, and then God saying, you're going to see the Messiah come before you die, and he's holding the Messiah, this small little seed, the small little child in his hands. And this is what, he's just blown away. And he, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I can die now. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Right? Here we see a theme of eyes and seeing and revelation, right? Sight and light. Light brings revelation to the Gentiles and sight to all nations, verse 31. 
and verse 32. And Mary and Joseph, as they're witnessing this, remember, they're marveling. They're standing there in awe because they're realizing they get to be participants. They get to be stewards as parents. And mind you, all parents are merely stewards. As much as I try to control what my child, children do, what they say, and hopefully I get to control what they become, right? I don't own my children. God owns my children. And God has made me a steward of my children's life. And I think this is the correct way to see things as a steward, they're gifts to me, right? They belong to God, but they're gifts to me to take care of while they're in my, and me and Janice is as parents in our purview, in our, in our sphere of influence. And so in the same way, Joseph and Mary are amazed because, man, we just gave birth to God. <laughs> We're parents of God. And so they're, both overwhelmed and awe, like we're clearly just stewards. This is a gift. This is way bigger than us. This is beyond us. And yet they're in charge of taking care of this child. And Simeon blesses, again, this theme of blessing in the beginning of Luke. Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph and says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising and here's, here's uh, where I take the title of my sermon from, the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that th the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The falling and rising. And this is kind of odd because even grammatically, when we put the two words falling and rising together, we don't usually hear falling come before rising, right? When we say rising and falling, we say, oh, the rising and falling of kings, the rising and falling of empires, the rising and falling of powerful people. We don't say the falling and rising of empires, right? Because we as people are focused on rising, right? We're focused on rising in the media, uh, superstars, celebrities, sports people, politicians. We hear biographies and stories about people, how they rose to fame, how they rose to power, how they rose to this or rose to that, how they rose to wealth. <coughs> Excuse me. But what, what we don't talk about is the falling, right? We may, we may hear on the news about someone's life how they fell from grace, but then the camera always goes away from that. We don't stay with someone who's fallen because that's not news, right? That's boring. We don't want to see someone who's on the ground, right? And just, you know, in the dumps. We're all about the rising, right? And we as individuals living in life, you know, from the get-go, it's, it's been about building our resumes for the most part, right? We go to school, we get good grades so we can get college, so we can earn the letters, so we can get that job and then we get promoted in the job and so we can get a raise and make more money and so we can get to that next job and we make sure our resume shows how good we're doing and how good we've performed in order for us to take that next step 
to the next level as we rise, right? Most of us are wanting to climb the ladder or, or have to, you know, we want to make more, more money, we want to take care of ourselves, we want to take care of everyone, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. There, that's natural. In all things we pursue, we, we try to better ourselves, right? As we get older, we want to become better at this. We practice, we grow, we rise, we take a, the next step. There's nothing wrong with rising in of itself. There's nothing wrong with building a resume or showing other people what you can do and what you have done. It's the idolatry of that, right? It's putting that as the thing, the end of itself, the God in my life. This is where identifies me. Uh, performance is what identifies me. Title is what tells me who I am, right? Perfection is what tells me I'm worth something. My, my role tells me that people value me or how much money I make, the status I have, how famous I am, how many likes I have, how many friends I have, what people are saying about me on Instagram, how many TikTok followers I have. That tells me I'm valuable and worth it. I, when you're addicted to rising, when you're addicted to fame, when you're addicted to power, that's when it's not good. In and of itself, it's not bad. It's the addiction, the idolatry uh, of those things or making those things what makes you your, who you are. That's where you get in trouble because who makes you who you are is God. God makes you who you are. God lifts you up. God makes you successful. God blesses you. God gives you things. God tells you who you are. That's the right orientation for our lives, right? We don't lift ourselves up or we don't turn to the world to lift us up. God lifts us up. Amen, you got that? So what we see in, in Simeon's statement that this child will be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel is that it tells us that Jesus and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and the coming of this child is turning the world upside down. And we saw this already in Mary's song, right? In the Magnificat. It was all about reversals, right? God is bringing the kings down and lifting the poor up. And we see this all throughout scripture that God has a heart, a special heart for the poor, right? That God is really interested in the people that other people have forgotten, the people in the margins, the people in the low places. That's why Jesus himself was born in a mere manger, in a trough, an animal trough, dirty where animals ate, not in glory, not in the highest of places, but Jesus was born in the humblest of places. Because that's where God's eyes and concern are for those who have fallen. Long after the cameras and the lights are off, those who have risen and fallen, right? I told, right? We don't care about the fallen. Our attention turns to who's making it. Who are the market makers? Who's, who's rising? Who's on the top? Who are the stars that are shining? Who won what award? Long after the cameras are focused on them, God 
is still with the morning, right? And we remember the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, those who have lost, those who weep and mourn, those who are poor, those who have been waiting for righteousness' sake, just as Simeon has, those who have been waiting for consolation, just like Israel has been. Those are the places and those are the people that God's spirit dwells and has concern for. That's the gospel story. You can't rise unless you've fallen, right? If you have not experienced or acknowledged falling, how can you know the depravity how can you know the gift that is God's saving power? Amen? How can you appreciate rising if you haven't fully embraced falling? And my friends, church, we have experienced falling. Right? Many in 2020 have experienced hardship, more hardship than we've ever experienced in our lives before. More people in our country, more people in our world are experiencing hardship because of the pandemic, but um, as a result, financial hardship as well on top of health. And disproportionately, brown and black people have been hurting and affected more in this time than anyone else. And so, we understand falling, or we at least have witnessed with our own eyes people falling, right? We have seen our nation fall, literally, right? And as politicians continue to point towards rising, that's a politician's job, right? Under me, the economy has experienced the biggest rise. Under me, employment has experienced the biggest rise. Under me, we're the most powerful nation in the world, the biggest rise, right? Even if it's true or not, even if it's a lie. Under me, we've risen, we've risen, we're the greatest, we're the best, we're the best ever. As the world focuses on rising, all of us know that many of us have fallen, that we've experienced falling, amen? And so, Jesus, this child, his destiny is to cause the falling, but also the rising of many in Israel. And that's why many people will speak against Jesus and that thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, right? And see, here's that play on light, seeing and not seeing. In Simeon's case, the light of Jesus has shown Jesus' salvation. The light of Jesus will be a revelation to the Gentiles, a gift of good news to the Gentiles. But in, by the same token, this same light that is Jesus, right, will reveal the thoughts of many hearts, what's the true colors inside, the evil thoughts in people's hearts, the greed, the maliciousness, the manipulation, all the things that happen when we're addicted to power and rising, right? That's what we turn to to ensure our own rising 
out of our own volition and strength. Manipulation, abuse of power, stepping on people, etc., etc. Drama, basically. And the light of Jesus will reveal all the drama in people's hearts. Right? Truth. Truth will shine a light. And it also says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And here you have another, a flip, right? A piercing, just as a light pierces the darkness, a sword, the sword of Jesus' word and truth for the follower, for the humble, will pierce your soul, right? Piercing in a sense that this revelation won't destroy you or like make you fall, but it'll actually do surgery on you. It's a precision, right? Pierce your soul with the truth and transform you into a better, into a new creation, right? Pierce. Wow, I'm gonna move on to verse 36. And as in the case of other places in Luke, for every man, there is a woman. For every male episode, there's a female episode. And I think this is Luke's way of demonstrating that to God, men are not more valuable than women or women are not more valuable to men. Only men can have revelation. Only men are blessed. Only men are the center of the story. But it's both in a very radical way for those times. The book of Luke includes both men and women in the main narrative, right? So... There was also, we had Simeon, right? But there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years, but now she was a widow. And if we remember in scripture, the word widow should automatically make us pop up, right? God has a heart for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner, right? She was a widow of 84 years. A prophet, a prophet, remember. And she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Here we go again. That character of one who is embowed, imbued, what's the word? Imbued with the Holy Spirit is one who has righteousness and devotion, right? I don't know about you, but I don't worship in the church day and night, right? Maybe once in a while I show up, but day and night she worships in the temple, fasting and praying every day. That's devotion. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks. This is Mary and Joseph, she's in the temple. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. Right? We are waiting for redemption. And Anna gets to be a part of witnessing, just as Simeon has, this parallel. Anna and Simeon, both main characters in the gospel story, right? Main recipients, beneficiaries of God's fulfillment, and also testifiers, right? Evangelists, witnesses of the good news, the first witnesses. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, right? Jesus was a Jewish boy, 
right? He wasn't extra Jewish. Jesus was born in a certain time, in a certain point in history, in a certain context, and that context was first century Palestine, right? And he was a Jewish boy. That's very important. And his parents honored all of the rules and the laws of the Lord. And they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And then begins the story of Jesus' rise, but the fall and rise, the fall and rise. In Jesus, we have salvation. In Jesus, we have good news for those who have fallen. After the, light, the bright lights and the cameras have faded away, Jesus is there for the poor. Jesus is there for the fallen. And he will make them rise. And he can make us rise as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. But they're not just words. Your word speaks power through the Holy Spirit into our lives, into our community, into our church. And for those of us who feel we have fallen from grace, who feel that we are down and out, who have experienced very real suffering and pain and loss, may the power of your Holy Spirit lift us up into new life and renewal in you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.